50s. In 10 years, I'll be in my early 50s. There are 953 weeks until my 60th birthday. When you stop and count, or you number your days, does it kind of make you think? You wonder if you're living on purpose. Are you making each day count? Are you living the life that you should? Are you giving your best to yourself, to God, to your family and friends, to your calling, whatever that may be? Now, despite that I have a countdown on my phone that reminds me every day how many weeks it is until my 60th birthday. That's not what you do. Okay. We're all unique. I still waste time. I procrastinate. I overlook or I miss meaningful moments with my friends and family. I spend time doing things that don't matter. I get bogged down or distracted. Maybe I make mountains out of molehills that keep me from pursuing my best life. It's not easy giving something your best. It's hard to find the motivation some days. Have you heard the expression, leave it all on the field? But are you kind of like me in sometimes not having the motivation and sometimes wasting time? Are you like me? You know what I wanted to do while I was preparing this sermon? Anything else. <laughs> have, you, have you been there? I kind of wanted to phone it in. Do you know that expression? You know, we use that expression, phoning it in, to describe a lack of effort or enthusiasm given when we perform something or you're doing something that's important. Have you been phoning it in at work lately? How about your marriage? Have you been phoning it in as a parent or with household chores? Have you been phoning it in with your prayer life, with Bible reading, with church, or with your faith in general? We are in this series called Daring Faith. And I wonder if for some of us we should have started, without a, started with a series called Feeble Faith. Because that's maybe where some of us are at. And the idea of a series is like, come on, get in there, go for it, do more, be more. That seems like a bit too much. But I want to encourage you this morning that no matter where you are, you can take a step of faith that will lead you into abundant life, life in all of its fullness, even if you only have 953 weeks left. We're going to look at two parts of the Bible today, first from 2 Peter chapter 1, and then from 2 Timothy. But let's start by reading in 2 Peter. This is chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Uh, you can follow along on the screen or on your phone, or there are Bibles in front of you in the pews. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you this morning. So let's read, and I'll make a few comments as we go. This is 2 Peter, chapter one, verse, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those 
who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received faith as a precious or as our as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a pretty typical start to a letter in an epistle, isn't it? But are you already feeling encouraged? <laughs> you don't have to count on your own righteousness. It is the righteousness of God that really matters. Peter even says that we can just receive faith. Faith is perhaps the only muscle that we need to flex when it comes to God working in our lives. And even faith, we can be in a posture of receiving. Some of you, I think, have been trying to muster up faith. Instead of that, perhaps you need to try to receive it as a precious gift. And hey, isn't it wonderful that Christianity is all about grace and peace in abundance? Religious people often get this wrong. But real Christianity should be saturated in grace and peace. When I'm often reflecting on how my day has gone, all my interactions with friends and coworkers and my children, I often think to myself, I could have added a little more grace. Grace and peace in abundance. And how does it all come to us? Through our knowledge of God. And of Jesus our Lord. That's why I believe prayer and Bible reading, Bible study, meditation are so valuable. We move from an awareness of God in some general sense to knowing him personally and intimately. Now, if you're ever wondering where the motivation comes from, where the power comes from to live a godly life, it says it here in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Knowing God transforms us, empowers us. You know, he calls us by his glory. That's his essence, his weight and importance and his goodness. It says in verse 4, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate And the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Something about knowing God, knowing his word, his words to us, his promises to us becomes empowering in such a way that we can live a godly life. Verse 5 I would say even if you're starting with feeble faith, if you begin to meditate on the promises of God, it will begin to transform your life. For this very reason, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. If you are leveling up in your faith, you will be leveling up in love. And if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're feeling ineffective and unproductive 
If you are ineffective and unproductive, it is not the way of love. Grow in love and you will grow in your effectiveness and in your productivity. Verse 9, but whosoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed, that they have been cleansed from their past sins. We need to have a greater vision, greater understanding of who God is and his promises, not be nearsighted. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich reward, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, We watched a movie last night, and uh, the main character is kind of a clumsy klutz in an environment where he's supposed to be very poised and put together. And nearly in every scene, this person trips or falls, and it's a very clumsy person. But can you imagine having the kind of grace to never stumble? Here are some practical tips if you're going to go from feeble faith to daring faith. We're going to look over at 2 Timothy now, starting in chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. This is Paul talking to Timothy, a guy he's mentoring and teaching. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled with civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So here's some practical steps moving towards daring faith. First, kind of from um, the military. Lessons from the military. Like an effective soldier, I must, number one, define what you die for. What's the most important thing above all else? John 15, verse 13, it says this. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So you give your life for what's most important to you. You don't actively pursue dying, but rather you are involved with, invested in, prioritizing the most important thing to you, even if it means giving up your life. Now, Jesus said this, and he's God himself. He's come to overturn all of evil and earth and in the heavenly realms and to put things right between God and man. And yet it seems as he's speaking that he's really just thinking about his friends around the table. He's thinking about his death and about his friends. Of all that Jesus could have done, he centered his life and ministry on his disciples, doing all that he could to make sure that they really understood the gospel so that his disciples could go into all the earth and take the gospel with them. See, most of Jesus' disciples died as martyrs, laying down their lives and demonstrating the greatest love. What should we die for? 
We should go as far as death to put the gospel into someone else's hands. If there is a hill to die on, it is sharing the gospel. So a lesson from the military is to define what we would die for, and I think it is the gospel. Another lesson you could learn is to sacrifice your comfort. This is 2 Timothy 2.3. says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Is that how the gospel was first pitched to you? Hey, do you like suffering? Probably not, and yet there's this all the way through the New Testament, this idea of making sacrifice so that you can take hold of something of extreme value. The work of the gospel isn't easy. There's a cost that you pay personally. Now, my parents, I mentioned them earlier, they were in pastoral ministry most of my life, and my mother was reflecting on her time, uh, you know, being a pastor's wife and all of the activity and busyness of being involved in the church. And she was also talking about one of the costs that she felt. In fact, it would show up in a number of different ways. But she was involved in, you know, women's ministries and lots of different kinds of events with hundreds of people. And she was investing uh, with friends, uh, non-believers, trying to reach out to them, share the gospel with them. Uh, Other people within the church and my parents were regularly inviting people into their homes and doing that kind of work. But there was also seasons where the relationship cost seemed really, really high. And my mother would end up kind of hiding out in my dad's office. Maybe some of you didn't even notice that, for those of you who knew her. But there was people that she counted as good friends or that she was investing in, that she was sharing with, spending time with, working hard so that that person could, uh, you know, understand the gospel or be discipled to maturity in Christ. And then that person would kind of move on or maybe they would even move to a different church or maybe they would actually even just kind of begin to not be receptive to the ministry of, of my parents. And eventually, that weight kind of got to my mom. It was hard for her. There's a cost. That's one kind of cost. I believe there's many kinds of costs that we can um, experience in serving as good soldiers. Ephesians 5, verse 2 says this, Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God Are you regularly giving yourself up? I think that's one of the ways that we can give our best to God is to let go of our own agenda and our own desires for what he would have for us. Another lesson that we can learn from the military is to eliminate distractions. 2 Timothy, again, 2 verse 4 says this, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Perhaps some of you aren't totally and completely addicted to your phone, but I think most of us are these days. I heard one person say, we're not just addicted to our phones, we're addicted to distraction. If that's you, and I think there's lots of reasons why, You know, if work is stressful, it's easy to just find something to distract yourself on your phone. If your marriage, if you're feeling like you're not really close, it's really easy to just kind of sit and watch TV. If things aren't going well, it's easy to just kind of try to numb your thoughts or your feelings or your reality with a distraction. 
So maybe it's your phone, maybe it's TV, or the news, some new crisis that's happening in our world. Maybe you sleep, or maybe you just busy yourself with work as your distraction. Uh, there's a great book by Bob Goff called Undistracted. It's about capturing your purpose and rediscovering your joy. That sounds good, eh? I think we could all use a little help capturing our purpose and rediscovering our joy. I've read the book twice. The first time, I wasn't really paying attention. And I thought it was uh, perhaps hypocritical to be reading a book called Undistracted while I wasn't paying attention. So I went back and I reread it. So there's some lessons from the military, practical steps about how we can give God our best, how we can be more focused. Here's some lessons from sports. Now, again, if you know me, the military, I don't know much about it. Sports, some of you might know this stuff. Again, this is as beyond me as the military. But hopefully I can keep up even. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do, okay, every time I see that verse, anyone know Monty Python? It's okay, you can admit it, even in church. And they had a whole thing about the Olympics, and they had, you know, the 100-meter dash for people who were directionally challenged. Do you remember this? Is it coming to your mind? I thought about showing this clip even, but guy fires the gun, everyone takes off in a different direction. They're just, no one's in their lane, they just begin to run. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So, lessons from sports. Intend to win. Again, do you not know that all the race, uh, race, they all run, but only one gets the prize. Do you have the prize in mind? Are you reminding yourself regularly, what is the prize that is most important that I want to take hold of? 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 says this, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, or when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. So intend to win. Also, discipline yourself. I need to discipline myself. 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. There are guidelines. There are ways that we can honor the Lord, live well, we need to know those and stick to them. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 and 27. Again, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Are you in strict training? Or just kind of phoning it in? Verse 27, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. Again, either... 
you are a slave to your body or your body is a slave to you? Which way do you want it to be? So, intend to win, discipline yourself, and stay focused. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 26, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Don't have busy work be the bulk of what your life is about. Stay focused. Now, another area, again, which I, for growing up in Saskatchewan, I still know nothing about, lessons from farming. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That's from Matthew 13, verse 24. Now, many of you know that we are in a capital campaign. And if you're new here to Hillcrest, you can get caught up about the capital campaign on our website. We've got videos, I'm sure, on YouTube as well about all of the details and how to be involved, why we're doing it. But for those of you who are regularly giving to the campaign, is it starting to hurt yet? Chances are, it is. Or maybe you should have... No, I'm just kidding. I know many of you are faithfully giving and in sacrificial ways. Uh, We looked at these scriptures when we were going through and launching the campaign. Perhaps now is a great time to remind ourselves of why we are putting our money where our faith is. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is 6 to 13. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Giving our best to God includes money, but also your time, your thing, Uh, your emotional bandwidth, all of it we can give. And the scripture encourages us to give generously, that we should plant generously in faith. In fact, on, on those particular issues, here's two promises from Jesus. Luke 6, verse 38 says this, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. This is how the message uh, says it. Give away your life. 
you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. And generosity begets generosity. Here again from Mark chapter 10, this is starting in verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. As we... Uh, begin to wrap up here this morning. Um, I hope that many of you are able to kind of recognize where you're at in faith. Some of you are perhaps in what you would call not daring faith, but feeble faith. Can I invite you to receive faith? We started with that, um, those verses by Peter where he said we get to receive it, um, this precious thing somehow comes to us. It's not a matter of mustering it up, but simply receiving faith. So simple, so simple that children can easily understand it. If perhaps that's you, maybe you are at that place where you don't even really have a relationship with God. And you are saying, I'm not sure about all of this faith. Can I invite you to receive See, Jesus comes to offer eternal, abundant life, life in all of its fullness. He has made the way possible through his righteousness. And through faith, we can receive it. This is a simple prayer. We pray it nearly every Sunday. And it's a prayer anyone can pray at any time. But perhaps this is the first time that you would pray this prayer. And if you'd like, you can say it along with me. You can repeat after me. Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beyond just receiving faith as this gift that comes to us, I do think we need to take seriously the idea that we should grow in our knowledge of God, that we should be in the Word and in prayer, understanding Him more and more and understanding the promises that he has made to us. And the more that we understand those things, the more that we take hold of him, the more we will find the power of God at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. To be able to accomplish many good and great things in our lives. That we can live by daring faith rather than feeble faith. I hope that we're able to take the lessons from the athlete from the soldier and from the farmer that we will be disciplined 
that we will have in mind to win, that we will have in mind what's most important in sharing the gospel with other people. Can I invite you to stand? I'd like to pray with you, and then the worship team is going to lead us in one final song. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on you, we see that you have given your best to us. Your love and kindness poured out into our lives that you invite us to a life of abundance and peace, experiencing grace and your goodness. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends who are feeling like they have little to none or perhaps maybe some feeble faith. I pray that um, what's already been said in this series and as we continue in it, that people's faith would grow and that people would begin to have greater uh, faith and trust in you for um, the challenges that they are facing, whether that's in work or in family or in health. I pray that we would have great confidence in you, in your ability to deliver according to your promises. Help us to, by your spirit, to bring those promises to our mind, that you are with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And the many other promises in your word to us. Help us to hang on to those things and help us to let go of and just loose the things that are not important. Help us to just focus on you, have, pray that the, our knowledge of you would grow and that uh, our ability to live godly lives would increase. And I pray that through this church, through every person here, the gospel would spread in power to many people who do not know you, that they would be able to have the wonderful hope that we have in you, hope of eternal life, life in all of its fullness even now. Would you take, would you multiply what we have and what we offer to you? Would you uh, use us like the boy with a, uh, a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish uh, who in faith said, here's what I have and I give it to you. Would you take it? Would you multiply it? In your name we pray. Amen.